Hello, hello. Welcome to where the dark corners are. I am today's host, the Polar Bear, and I am joined by the Notorious Panda. Road trip with the Panda. <laughs> the fuck was this? <laughs> the part you hated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounded like just a whisper, a ghost whisper. It sounded like the car needs a, needs air in his tires. <laughs> Uh, not only the panda, but today will be joining us our fearless leader, the bunny. Hello. The bunny. The the luscious bunny. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, that was fun. That was terrifying <laughs> enough for this episode. Well, well, sorry to break up your fun, but today I'm taking the steering wheel, oh. hijacking our trip, and taking us to the icy valleys of the Ural Mountains of Soviet Russia where a company of college students met their demise under mysterious circumstances. Weren't you born up there? No. <laughs> Not in the <laughs> Not mountains of Russian. Russia. <laughs> He's Ukrainian. That's yeah, but the up. same mountains, they share the same mountains, will be okay. <laughs> so on January 1959, a group of Russian college students who attended Ural Polytechnical Institution, UPI for short, decided to venture into the Ural to reach the peak of Otorton Mountain that stands higher than all the other surrounding areas. Our group consisted of 10 hikers, and I'll go through and try to give you a little bit of information on each one of them. And if I'm missing anything, please feel free to chip in. There is so much stuff about these guys that... Well, there's 10 of them, so... Yeah, there's 10 of them. And they all got those long-ass crazy names. That's right, and I'll try my best to do diligence. I mean, you're, the, you're the expert here. <laughs> Come on. Okay. You heard Dyatlov. The leader of our group was a 23-year-old male, a student of fifth faculty uh, of radio engineering at the UPI. Dotlov was a very well-rounded guy. He was fit, friendly. He designed a shortwave radio transmitter. He was a good photographer, excellent hiker, and he built his own portable stove that he brought on this trip. Dotlov had nine hikes under his belt prior to this trip. Yuri Doroshenko... 21-year-old male, a fourth-year student of radio engineering at the UPI. He came from a poor family and was usually known to be underprepared for the weather due to not being able to afford nicer or warmer clothes. Yuri was impulsive and brave. Some may call him fearless on the account that on one of his previous hikes, he charged at a bear to scare him off in order to protect his hiking group. He had five recorded hikes. He was previously involved in a relationship with Zinaida, one of our other hikers. However, they broke up prior to the hike. Our third hiker is another Yuri. There's actually two Yuris. 
Three years. Three years. There's three years. Three? There's three, three years. Mm-hmm. Well, that might be why I was kind of confused on something. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it gets kind of weird, so I think we should get them nicknames once we get this down. Right. Yuri D, Yuri Z. I, I would say use their last names, but just I don't think yeah. we'll be able to. <laughs> well, yeah, just shorten up their last names. We'll figure it out. We'll so figure it out. it'll be easier for this one because this Yuri's, his name is Yuri Krivoshenko. Krivoshenko? Yuri Krivoshenko. See. Which is, but he liked to go by the name of Georgi. Or. Yeah, that's easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Gregory, if you want. Gregory? Gregory. 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 After graduating, he worked in a secret nuclear facility that experienced a plutonium leak, known as the second largest nuclear meltdown compared to Chernobyl. He was tasked with the cleanup. Though graduated, he kept his ties with the UPI Hiking Club and bore a title of junior instructor in hiking. He had seven recorded hikes. He came from a wealthy and influential family. He was lighthearted and always tried to be the life of the party. Another member is Alexander Kolevatov, 24-year-old male, fourth-year student at UPI majoring in nuclear physics. Trying to redeem himself from a tragic family past, he was very school-oriented and was trying to make a name for himself. He had six recorded hikes. Rustam Slobodin. 23-year-old male who graduated from UPI and worked at Enterprise, a company I actually have no idea what they did. He was quiet, honest, athletic. He was a long-distance runner and had six recorded hikes. Nikolai Brignol, 23-year-old male. He graduated with a degree in civil engineering and worked in construction. People who knew him always mentioned that he was energetic, inventive, funny, and friendly. He had five recorded hikes. Yuri Yudin, 21-year-old male, determined and likable, but with some severe health issues. He had six recorded hikes. And spoiler alert, the only survivor of the Dyatlov incident. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> One out of ten. Come on, just saying. <laughs> Good odds, right? Ten percent? Another member, Simeon Zolotarev, 38-year-old male. And by far the most peculiar of all of the members of the group. 38? 38. So these are a bunch of college students, and he's... He's, yeah. Okay. He didn't fit in. And no. I'll touch on that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, he was a veteran who served through throughout World War II and then tried to continue his military career without my, much luck, though. Every military school he attended either closed or underwent a... Reduction. Simeon then went to and graduated Institute of Physical Education and became a sports instructor. Farther down the road, he became a senior tourism instructor. He had 24 recorded hikes. 24? 24. Okay. He, he was, because he was the instructor, he actually had more hikes than everybody else. So, okay. I mean, do you know down the line why he opted to do this? 
Because it's my understanding the majority of those who participated were looking to get their official and final certificate. So it seemed to me... Right, so he's this, with essentially this is their, their rite of passage to become master hikers, master certified, survi- certified survivalist hiker people. Right, but more importantly, with everyone having such less experience, it just seems odd that this guy... Well, that's what I'm saying. If, well, that's the thing is if they're all only at, you know, four to nine hikes, how many do you have? He had 24. 24. Hikes. So how come he's now already level three? So sorry, that's how it works. It goes to level two. They're all level two, and they're going to level three to be the, the master, you know, their highest honor. Okay, well, they, I'm just saying. Well, mm-hmm. well, that's what I'm saying is what, he has 24, and he's not a master hiker. And he's joining Ellen? a bunch of, by comparison, not to me, obviously, but by comparison, some inexperienced hikers. Right. And I'll explain what I got. Well, those were the guys of our group, and we have two girls that joined the group. Honestly, by comparison, the girls seem much tougher than the guys did. Check that. So we have Ludmila Dubnina, 20-year-old female, a fourth-year student of UPI majoring in engineering and economics. Ludmila loved to sing and take photographs. She was brave and tough. On one of her previous hikes, she was shot in her leg by mistake by a hunter that was escorting a group. Not only did she tough through the pain of being shot, but she also had the willpower to walk all the way back. She had four recorded hikes. I, I think I think the last where she got shot, that she got like for three. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. She walked back. Get extra She's hikes. all, this ain't nothing. I'm Russian. Russian women are built different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And... That, and that brings us to our the last member, Zinaida Kilomogrova, 22-year-old female, fifth-year student of UPI majoring in radio engineering. She was outgoing and full of ideas. She had a strong character. On one of her hikes, she was bitten by a viper. However, she continued on and refused to even lighten her load so her friends didn't have to be extra burdened. She had eight recorded hikes. God damn. Yeah. First off, how do snakes even survive in Russia? I mean, it's so cold, or in my perspective is, it's so cold there. I mean, I'm sure they adjust. It's like the snakes, you know, up here, they, it gets cold as fuck and, and hot as fuck. <laughs> They're communist snakes. Okay. <laughs> they, they, they uh, communist snakes uh, share the share the temperature. Raised <laughs> by share Stalin. The war- <laughs> share the warmth. <laughs> I, I don't know if he was alive in 54, but I know he was during the cold Stalin? war. Stalin? <laughs> yeah, Stalin. I don't know when Stalin died. I think he was alive. Okay. He survived the war. Yeah. He survived after the war. He died in the 60s. All right. Could be wrong. Probably wrong. All right. Know. All right. So communist snakes. So communist snakes. Stalin snakes. Tough chicks. All the members of the Doubtlove group were members of uh, UPI Hiking Club. So the college then. This was like a college activity. Yeah, so it was their college, but their they had certain clubs. Like, you know, you would have a chess, chess club, club or, okay. a, you know, football. So they had a UPI Hiking Club. Even the members that graduated... And had jobs, you know, they were still involved with the club. So well, they, you didn't you have got to like attend. An old man hanging around them. Yeah, you didn't have to attend uh, the college to be part of the club. All members, like we talked about, were category two hikers, which is, you know, it's determined on number of hikes that they did, the difficulty of the routes that they that they accomplished. I noted the amount of hikes that they completed in the characters' descriptions because it's crucial to grasp the concept that these were experienced hikers. I know one above most, 
but these people were more than prepared for the journey ahead. Exactly. I mean, we said earlier they were getting their certificate. This was right. the hike that they had been working on. So when things go south, or I don't even know. Right. Well, I mean, that also explained why Mr. I have 28 hikes or whatever. He probably did all the easy hikes. So I wonder if it's like a point. I, I don't know how it works, but I'm assuming it's like a point-based system. So he said by difficulty right. of, of uh, hikes, you know, this is – Based off of where we looked up where this is at, and you know, knowing their t- their their weather conditions and stuff, I'm assuming this is one of the hardest hikes to do. Right. And so I'm assuming none of the other hikes they've done have been as difficult or as because I when we looked it up, it's not it's not a far hike for them. They're only supposed to be gone. Want to say fourteen days? Yeah, fourteen days. So it, I mean, I don't know how long their other hikes would be, but. Maybe those other ones are shorter, and so this is you know a real test of their endurance, right? So well, that I mean that I mean that you ask a great question. How long had they been hiking? Did they do six in one year versus six in three years? Right. I mean, that's what I I'm mean, saying. I can't imagine even now taking off that kind of time from school or work to accomplish a hike within you know one year versus breaking it down over three or four years. Well, that's the thing is. These 10 are the ones that made it. So before, there was supposed to be a bunch of them. And I don't know the exact number. It was like 15 or 20. And other people couldn't make it. They had unforeseen circumstances, you know, other arrangements. They went on other hikes. Some of them couldn't get the leave from the college to go on these hikes. And all of of them had to be pre-approved by the director. And there was actually two hikes going on. At the same time. So there was the Dotlov's group and there was uh, Sogren's group. And Sogren's group was actually going on a much more difficult and longer hike. They're going to the same place. They're going to the subpolar Urals. But Sogren's hike was supposed to take about 25 days and Dotlov's was supposed to take 14 days. Okay. And that's the reason Semyon Solotadov decided to to go with Dotlov's. He originally was supposed to go on the longer 25-day one, but he decided to go to with Dotlov because it was a shorter hike. It was allegedly less difficult, and the reason he went was to obtain the title of Master of Sports and Tourism, which okay. would, you know, greatly improve his career as the tur- tourist guy. Yeah, he could say, I, I, did, I did this pass that's not named yet that everyone knows about. Right, well, they knew the name of the mountain. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a mountain, right? It's what? Death right. Mountain or something. So I don't know. I only know the, the English, English version. I know the English it. version. I don't know the other version. I know Ural um, Mountain. Yeah, Ural Mountains is the mountain ridge. Oh, the, the yeah. The, that's yeah. that's the like the Sierra Neva- Nevadas. Right, the it's collection of the one, mountains. Yeah, right. it's not just one certain mountain. Right. So I mean, I mean, if I was gonna go on a tour guide with anybody, I would like to know the guy who hiked Mount Death. You know, mm-hmm. cool. Right. All right, this you guy's got it. survived Mount Death. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, but you didn't survive being shot in the leg. So. <laughs> well, he, he was a World War II vet. You yes, got shot he at. was. Yes, yeah. he was. I mean, I mean that's impressive, but mm, I don't know. Dishes. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Survive World War II. That's <laughs> well, whatever. But you know, he's a Russian survivor of World War II. Okay. Yeah, those dudes that get shot at and survive the cold and starve. And Live in the. Those guys yeah. are crazy. Y'all are wild. Yeah. Those Eastern Europeans, man. <laughs> And he was he was a little weird too. Yeah, you know, he, he didn't fit into the group. He was the la- last add-on. 
because he switched between groups. Everybody was a little tense on having him on the team, but uh, you know, after getting him to to know him a little bit, they they let him on the group and well, became like part I said, of it. I think these are all college students who knew mm. each other, right? And he was the only one that, that was that didn't. Yeah. So I mean, and he, it's kind of like being given a perfect well that's what it is it's a perfect stranger is now all of a sudden part of your clique right but i mean all the information we looked up you know just for the just for everyone knows is that there's there's a website that covers all this and that there's a, a fabulous website right so there's a fabulous website on it and it has all the diaries uh translated diaries of all the people who went who were involved who whoever kept the diary and they actually took pictures of stuff because the, they all had cameras and they would Basically, document document the trip. Right, and they were very proficient to the point where I think even the last entry, literally like right before whatever goes down, goes right, down. Right, like hours before, minutes before, something happened. Very close. But the point I was going to make was is that on the website you see pictures of everybody. So it, it shows them as a group, and they all look, you know, they're all smiling and doing whatever. There's no one like, he's not like on the sidelines yeah, of the picture. Yeah, he's not shunned. Yeah, he's pretty accepted. So I mean, like, you're right, like, there's just a bunch of college guy, kids I mean, I'm, I'm not like that much older, but, you know, these are a bunch of college people who kind of accept this guy. And it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm sure it's fine. It's whatever. I mean, as long as there's, there's more of us than him. so. And I think so long as he pulls his own weight. Right. And that's, uh, I'm assuming, he's, if he's already geared up to go with somebody else, he probably already has his own supplies and everything else. So they don't have to chip in for him to survive. I'm sure, I'm sure they would help him, but. Right. You know, you plan for this. You plan, and like you said, some people have suffered not having their own supplies of proper clothing. Well, it sounds like one else. of them definitely does, which I'm sure we'll get to. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so. So tell us about this, their uh, journey so that we know of. The unofficial beginning of the journey started on January 23rd, where, the, you know, they got gathered their group. They got on the train. And the funny thing about this one was they only had nine tickets for the ten people. Dubnina actually had to hide under the seats away from the conductor so they wouldn't get kicked off. So I don't know if it was poor planning or they just didn't count uh, Simeon, which he actually preferred to be called Sasha, which doesn't make any sense to me because that would be a short name for Alexander. So he's a man of many names. So maybe they didn't count on him showing up and they bought tickets before. Well, obviously no. Yeah. Right, so maybe they already bought the tickets. He shows up, and they're like, well, we don't have enough to buy you another ticket. Or, or enough time or, to. Right, enough time to do it. Because maybe you had to preemptively buy this ticket. Because the, where they're going isn't around civilization. Right. right. It's far away and from, like, Moscow. I think everybody. Moscow. I think it's, like, the closest one, which is, like, hundreds of miles away. Oh, yeah. The, you know, they had to take a series of trains, an open bed truck, like like one of those Big trucks that had to tow them up, you know, up to the nearest point where they could start. So, yeah, but they did encounter some uh, unlucky things, I guess. I mean, they had some problem with the law oh. where they uh, they started, you know, singing, trying trying to make some money at a train station like like beggars do, I would, right. you know. And throw your so, hat down. Yeah, throw your hat down, you know, started merrymaking, and uh, they got in trouble with the police there. They also got into an altercation on one of the trains when uh, one of the guys from our group tried to steal somebody else's vodka. 
Someone from their group tried to steal someone else's. Yeah, vodka? yeah. Okay. So I, and I read this, but I don't know how true it is that you know these guys were doing their certification. So some someone said that they uh, left all their booze and cigarettes at home because they were trying to take this seriously this hike so seriously. So I w- I'm kind of yeah, I read curious. That too. I mean, yeah, I mean, curious if this guy just couldn't couldn't stay away. Right. What we do know later on that they do have at least alcohol. I don't know about. I think there's actually pictures of them smoking, too. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the pictures of smoking. Okay. But, but like, but I think he's right though. I mean, they all want to take this serious because this is a a big thing they want to do, and they don't want it just to go bad. Right. They train for this moment. It's also January in Russia. Correct. <laughs> and I'm uh, I don't know if we established a year, but it's 1959. When I looked up, Stalin was dead. Okay. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> Either way, so I mean, they don't have the things we have now. No, not even remotely. The guy had to make his own portable stove right. or portable heater thing. Well, that was the his outlet. project. I'm sure he was. Really oh, project! Proud of That's it. right, his project. He was, he was proud <laughs> of it. That was his thing. But yeah. Anyway, so continuing continuing down the road on January 27th, uh, Yuri Yudin, the guy with the shortest, easiest name, hmm? he fell sick. From riding in the back of the open back truck. He had inflammation of the sciatic nerve. You know, However, he decided to continue on as far as he could. So January 28th, Yuri parted with the group because he couldn't handle it anymore. The pain? The pain. Okay. You know, he's only 21, but he has had issues on previous hikes. But he completed, what, six? I think you said? He's somewhere on those numbers. Okay. He, well, they're like that. They've all... At least done four plus. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, he four. did six. But so he, well, he had like, it was like, I don't think it was like scoliosis, but it was something. I think something it's arthritis. The, huh? Arthritis. It might have been. I don't remember. It was something. Sciatica. I, I, I think it was sciatic. Yes, okay. sciatic. That's what it was. That would make sense in the <laughs> in a truck or in a, in a moving van yeah. like that. Well, yeah. yeah so it's it's cold. <laughs> They're fucking bundled up in the bag going. Which is also another reason why why are they going in January? To get the class three license, but why does the class three license have to say? Because oh, it's you gotta have, be hard. Just go during the spring. Enjoy right, your when fucking. It's a little warmer. <laughs> enjoy your life. Fuck. Either way. Why do you play Madden on hard? Because it makes it fun. Exactly. And challenging. Exactly. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't risk hypothermia in my room <laughs> with my headset on. Well, and it's not just cold; it's Mother Russia cold. <laughs> yeah, it's motherfucking Russia cold. <laughs> So on January 29th, Yudin headed back to the nearest town. So while the Dyatlov group began their official hike, they set off from this abandoned town, and they cross-country skied following the Lozova River headed to, towards the Ural Ridge. The weather was cold, but the skies were clear. They were, they were doing okay. So during the hike, the group had a particular rule that no one was allowed to sit by the fire until all the chores were done whether it was setting up the tent or collecting firewood. January 30th, the group wanted to get an early start, but in the morning that didn't happen. Everyone slept in and no one wanted to get up. When the group was finally up and about, they began following the Mansi Trail. Mansis were the Urals native people. They're actually kind of similar to the Eskimos. I don't know any Eskimos. Mm. I, know I don't Eskimos. think it was them. I, I know my Eskimo brothers, but other than that, that's <laughs> it. You have nothing on the Menses? <laughs> uh, I mean, I just know that they're the local tribe, but like... Yeah, yeah like Eskimos. Yeah, uh, well, it's like they're, na- they're Native Americans. They're Native Americans, Well, yeah. they're, they're Native Russians. Yeah, Native Russians. They're Native Russians. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I mean, yeah. Yeah. So they're they're the locals. They're the real locals. Right. And then, you know, that this was at this point it was their territory. You know, they were following their trail. They saw their signs on the trees, little carvings, and in their diaries they actually had a bunch of the words written down. Like the symbols? L- like symbols and yeah, and they were trying to, you know, translate the words to see to learn something. Rosetta Stone it. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, they had a difficult time moving because of the ice forming on their skis, and they were moving through four feet of fresh snow. By the end of the day, the group camped in the trees. The temperatures began to drop from one degree Fahrenheit during the day to negative 17 Fahrenheit at night, which, for reference, 32 degrees is the freezing point of the water. January 31st, in the morning, tensions arose with uh, Brignall, refusing to be on guard duty. So they had Zinaida and Rustam took over for him. Over, I don't know whether they were tired or what happened, but they accidentally burned some of Yuri Krivonyashenko's clothes. What's a guard duty? So they they were just pretty much posted up in the morning, tending to the fire. Just they were Also maintaining the fire? Yeah, they were just, they were the guys that were up. Well, you also wanted, it could be a fucking bear or some shit. Well, I mean, that was my question. Mm To me, if you're on guard duty, you're looking for anything that's going to attack. No, they they were on watch. Watch. <laughs> they were yeah. the guys fire that were watch, awake. bear watch, bear watch, fire watch, guard duty. Yeah. Russian bear watch. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so they burned some of his clothes, and he went into a rage and began causing and yelling at his friends. Causing or cussing? Oh, cussing. Russian version of cussing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my bad. Cussing. <laughs> Cussing and yelling at his friends. Even though they had some hiccups that morning, they began moving by 10 o'clock in the morning, still following the native trail that disappeared and reappeared by random. I mean, there's a bunch of snow on the ground. I'm sure it's not exact trail, so they were just looking for the signs of the ANSI people. And then the weather by this time was worsening a bunch and made it quite difficult to continue. Okay. Uh, you know, they had to quit at 4 p.m. and set up camp. Then on February 1st, they left from the Valley of Aspia, headed to an unnamed pass, now known as the Dyatlov Pass, where the team met their demise. There were no more diary entries, and the rest remains a mystery. Yeah, so yeah, essentially they're, they're on their own trail, the, the trail that they know they're supposed to go on, but... From what everyone gathered, it was just the bad weather was so bad, and they ended up going about 500 meters off track. And they're going, if I want to remember, it's like they're they're making only like a mile every hour, something weird like that. Like they were not making any progress. Right. But they didn't. I'm assuming they didn't count for the weather to be that bad. But same time, it's like mm. I mean, maybe they they probably thought they were you know they're young, they're confident, everyone's confident in their own abilities to do whatever, right. and then maybe they really just weren't prepared at that point. But they're like, we're already here, we should finish it. Right. Well, the the way they were moving up the mountain was they would couple would walk up the mountain and then ski down, making a little trail for everybody else. And I'm sure that's what made oh. made it more. Smoother sailing, maybe. Yeah. Well, not for the Trying to, but... Not yeah. the original climbers now. Right. Yeah. That's shitty. That's a rough way to do... I mean, I guess I guess if you switch roles and stuff. So that's probably why the guy was upset. Maybe, he, I mean, for one, you know, you're, you're tired. And then maybe he got... He did extra duty and didn't get recognized for it. So I don't know. Yeah. 
I mean, we don't know. We, we weren't out there. I mean, they were in their diaries. probably, and they, and they kept it pretty short at times, too, especially if they were tired. Mm-hmm. They just put something to establish that they did that that day. It's probably what they were trained to do for the hikers club. Well, if you look at the notebooks, because there's pictures of some of them even filling out their notebooks, we're not talking a novel here. We're talking pretty thin books. Right. And notepads. I, well, yeah, so yes. they, they, they didn't want to carry extra weight. Correct. So. Correct. So more the than they already had to, yeah. So, so last we hear is February first. Oh. Right. One thing I forgot was at one point in time they established a little storage shed. Right oh, on right. one side. So, so they, well, they go to so when they when they get when they they take the trains they take the buses they take it to the town and you know to their hikers code they have to establish you know hey this is who we are these are all our names. We're gonna go here, so if we're not back, come save us. Right. So then they they establish that they send word to via their. I think um, they were like sending progress notes, basically. Well, right. It was like a telegram or like a. I don't know what they had. Cable. I mean, just cable, yeah. And so that's what they did before they went off hiking, and then they went to the old mining town. I guess like an abandoned mining spot, and that's where they first set up, and they actually left supplies there. So when they left the little town, remote town they were at. They went to an abandoned spot, and that's where What's-His-Face said, no, nah, I'm good. Right. But I think he was talking about right before they set up camp. Right. So so after they, they left Yuri, they, you, they had a, you know, following the trail a little bit, and at one point in time they decided we're not going to carry all of these supplies. We're not going to need all of these supplies to go there and back. Because I think their ultimate goal was the top of this particular peak. Right, uh, Colat, Colat, cycle, cycle. I don't know. It's the Mansi man. That's the Mansi name. Whatever that name is, right there. Say that. Say those words right there. Colat, cycle, cycle, cycle. So right. I mean, I don't think their objective was to get to the top, but it was just to get to a certain point that was you know more elevated than where they were at. Right, and they didn't need to carry all their food and stuff. Right. So essentially, they're like, we just need to take what we need. Just enough to make it there and make it back, and then we'll take our supplies that we have and then be resupplied, and then resupply back when we get back to the place and then right. be back to town. They basically left, like, like breadcrumbs. Right, breadcrumbs to the food supplies. Right, so it's almost like trail markers for them to come back. Right. So, yeah, so so February 4th versus where they end off, based off of the journals, you know, nobody else was there. And homeboy, uh, was it Yuri? Yeah, Yuri. Which one? Mr. Yudin. Yeah, the one that left, he's doing, I mean, he went home. Right. But, you know. So, like I said, they, they established open communication with the town before they go. And they tell them, we'll be back on this date. And then, so, they're expected to be back by February 12th. So, that's the expected date. So, by February 12th, the per- per people who are in charge of, you know, establishing, hey, did these guys come back? No one came back. Like, oh, uh, we'll give it a little longer. You know, sometimes the... The, the parties take a little longer than expected. Things go wrong. The weather delays them. Right. So on the 21st, they rally up a search party from the local, the, the closest town. And so they go looking on the 21st. But by the 26th of February, they find the tent that they assume was their tent. Right, based on what they find at the tent. Right. So on the 26th, when they find the tent, the tent had shown that it had been cut from the inside out. So, like, there was... I, I don't know how they established it or what the lead investigator was, but 
they established that the the tent was cut from the inside out. Who's that? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know too. <laughs> I, I know. I know how they established it. But go ahead. Go ahead. So they led to the idea that something or someone had scared the group enough to the to force their to destroy their own shelter to escape. So while escaping, it is led to believe that almost all who left the tent didn't have any coverings on their feet. So shoes, socks, shoes, socks, and the footprints they could find were mostly bare feet. I think they find later at least two of them had shoes or some type of proper. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so on the 27th, so, so now, now they established that shit's gone wrong. So now that the search party goes on the 27th, located at a cedar tree, which is about 1,500 meters away, which is about a mile away from the the tent, the base of a tree, they find Dorshenko's body. Dorshenko was uh, the, uh, one of the guys. It's uh, one of the Yuris. And they find him face down wearing short sleeve shirt with socks, no shoes, and, no, and swimming trunks. So Dorshenko had burns on his, his head, his feet, with gray fluid coming out of his mouth and while also being covered in blood. So the gray fluid that was coming out is a result of a strong force to the chest, but he they considered to have to have him die of hypothermia. So when you're pushing your chest, I guess you know, you your body is gonna reject something coming out of your body and it causes something to come out, so they resulted in the gray fluid. Okay. So but something caused him to have that reaction. Right. But to, for something to put that much force on your chest probably results in death. But they chalked up hypothermia. Right, right. He's not wearing anything. He's wearing swimming trunks. Right. So, but he wasn't the only body. So they've also found uh, Krivonshenko next to Dershenko. But he was found wearing a long sh- sleeve shirt, underwear, and one sock. And I think the other sock was, like, near the fire pit? No, I have no idea. Tell so me. these are the two Yuri's. Yeah, these are two of the th- three Yuri's. Yeah, well, the third one's alive. Right, he's the survivor. Yeah, he's the only one who made it. Okay. So on Krivonchenko, he has heavy bruising on his feet, his legs, and his hands, with part of his middle finger's knuckle in his mouth. So he he concludes that maybe he was biting his own finger to stay awake, to stay alert, to stay alive, really. And it was concluded that he also died of hypothermia. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't both of the gentlemen, both of the Yuris, have wood in their fingertips? Right. So, yeah, there's a there's a tree there, and all the lower the, the lower part of the trunk, it looks like people had, something had climbed it, and maybe they used that tree to look up to see where they were supposed to go, you know, where they were located, see if maybe they can look their way back. So, it, it was signs that people have climbed the tree. Okay. Which is not a bad survival tactic, but... Correct. And also, if you're trying to make a fire pit, you know, you need... So, yeah, when we get to theories, I have I have a problem with the idea that they, you know, climb the tree to cut the wood. That doesn't make any sense, because if you look at the pictures, and again, we'll get more into this, if you look at the pictures, there's a bunch of little trees right little there trees they could have just... Yeah. yeah, but those a lot of those little trees are probably covered in snow, and they're wet. If you have a tree that's fully stacked... The inside and the underneath it is going to be dry. That's that's theory. That's a. I mean, that's right. A good we'll point. get. We'll come back okay. to your theories. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we will. <laughs> we will. <laughs> so yeah, legends of the bodies have moved to move to those exact finding spots in order to respect the bodies. So they were, they were put face down and put together, and so there. That's alleged that they were put there because that was tempering after they died. Right. So because they 
they're now assuming they were stripped of their clothing to survive. So take their clothes. Right, the survivors. They just took their clothes. Them down. Yeah, they took their because there's only one sock on one guy, and the other doesn't have any socks on. Right, he's only got some trunks on. Right. So, I mean, but I mean, it's not a bad thing either. So, if you're trying to survive the cold, you need all the layers you can get. If you're not in your tent. Right. I mean, they have a military guy with them saying these guys are dead. Right. What do they need their clothes for? I would assume so. Someone has to be, you know, they have to kind of step up and be like, look, he's not going to use it. Renanum's not going to help him. Anymore. Right. So, the next body was found was Igor Dalatov, the, the, the leader. He was found face up with his fist clenched with a, a manipulated corpse. He had abrasions, bruising on his ankles, cuts and bruises on his face, and missing his jaw and scissors, thus leading to believe he was in a fist fight. But they concluded that his death was to hypothermia. So they they found him clenching clenching his fist still and is dead. So I mean, kind of whatever. That doesn't make sense, but hey. Well, I, well, I mean, hypothermia. Right. Well, it does mysterious things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's what they talked about is you know when he clenched his fist because he was cold. He was just trying to keep his body he, warm, he, tight. Yeah, yeah, tight. You know, and then. But he also has. He sustained injuries that suspected that suggests that he was in a fight. That he was in a fist fight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next person they found that day was the Zuniata. Zinaida. Zinaida. Or just call her Zina. Zina. Zina was found in a better clothing condition, but she still did. Brazen on the hand, bruising on the face, a long bruise, bruise on the side. So the, the only way you get that kind of bruise is if you get hit something. That would resemble like a like a baton strike. So she's she's it's a big old bruise on her side. So it's assumed that Dalatov and uh, Zina had made an attempt to return to the tent. So where they found their bodies, they so they find the two bodies by the the tree, and then on somehow the party ended up finding going kind of going backtracking towards the tent towards the tent, and they find the two bodies closer on the on like on the path back to the tent. So we're not really sure, but they're assuming they try to go back to the tent, but they're they're not. In, the best conditions either to walk back to the no. tent. No. no. But they're still dead, and that's where they found them on the way back. A week a week goes by, and they're still missing at this point one, two, three, or five bodies. Six bodies. Seven. Eight. No. They're missing five. <laughs> five bodies. <laughs> five bodies. So on right, March 5th, they find Rustum. He was found face down in the snow. Uh, he had internal bleeding in temples and a fracture in his skull. It led to believe that Rustum survived for about an hour or so after receiving these injuries. And he was disoriented but and aware, but he succumbed to his injuries and died of, guessed it. COVID. Hypothermia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hypothermia. So he's Russia, got a, Russia COVID. Right, right, right. <laughs> so he's got a cracked skull is what yeah, I'm his, hearing. He's, he's, but that's the thing. Is they said he was still alive. And conscious, when he made the effort to go back to the tent to do, yeah, to survive. So this is it's also in the same path back to the tent as well. Now he was found between Zena and Igor. Right. Well, so I mean, that's the thing. Is a week later, though. See, that just seems odd to me. Mm-hmm. You find the two bodies, and then you find him later. Now I do wonder because I wasn't exactly sure if the rescuing party was there. Straight through. You understand what I mean? If they like took a couple days break to get some more supplies and then returned. Well, well they would have to. Uh, yeah, point. That's, it's been a long time. You said March 4th right, so compared to February 26th. 
Right. So the the search party began on the twenty first, and so they you know, no, it, at first it's just local people. Right, right, right. And, and then, some of the students. Oh, see, I, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, well, they, they yeah. take all the people they can get. Right. So and then you know they find the tent, and then they start finding the bodies. But like I said, you know. It takes a week, so they have to get more people and probably more people who more capable of handling a situation right. like this. Is they're also they're also in BFE, so I'm sure they have to go back. Sleep, you know, I mean, we're still right. Take they a they week still off. have to survive. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right, right. They have to switch out people. I mean, there's just no and these most of these people here. So my point is, is that because this whole thing is just it, there is no theory that is applied here that makes sense to any of this. Like 100%. Not even, I would say, 50%. Well, at this point, no one even cares. They're just trying to find the party. Right, they just think that, you Th- know. Just, something just went wrong. And right. they're trying to see if anyone's alive. But, I mean, at this point, they're already they're straight up looking for dead bodies. They're not looking for survivors at right. this point. Cadivers, basically. Cadivers? Dead bodies. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Corpses? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, five were found. What happens? To, where's the other four? So the other four, and that's and that's the shitty part is, I it must weather must have been bad, or something to the point that they could not find the other four for two months. So in May fifth, they find a den near a creek, approximately about seventy five meters away from the tree that was fifteen hundred meters. So now it's only like a half a mile, a little further. No, it's a little less, a lot less. It's not very far from the tree. Okay. So it's takes two months to find this den that th- has been made by the last survivor. Well, the no, remaining four, the remaining supposedly. Four. Supposedly, right. So they find the den, and it's got Dubina, Zolotarv, Shasha, Kolotov, and Thibu Brignole. And so Dubina was found draped over, over a natural ledge with the flow of water flowing to her body. So it, she's, she's like on the creek, basically, while it's flowing. It's just hitting her. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... That's not strange. Right. So while she's well-dressed in layers of clothing, multiple shirts, sweaters, socks, and even two pairs of pants, the tissue of her lips and cheeks were missing, thus exposing her teeth and upper jaw, 10 broken ribs, massive hemorrhaging in, in the heart, and she was also missing her eyeballs and her tongue. Blood within the stomach suggests that she was alive while the missing pieces were taken, and she officially died of hemorrhaging this time. Okay. So it wasn't hypothermia. Uh, what? It wasn't hypothermia. Crazy. But yeah, so they're saying that, you know, while the, her eyeballs and tongues are being whatever, she's still alive. And she ended up dying. From the compressions to her broken her well, chest? Yeah, 10 broken ribs. Face is literally missing stuff. Literally in her mouth, her eyes, parts of her jawline. You can see her teeth because the lips aren't, her stuff it just isn't there. Right, right, right. So, but she's like some. She's she was alive through all that. So it's pretty fucked up. So it is. It is. I mean, these kids didn't deserve whatever happened here. Allegedly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, your theories and <laughs> some of my theories. We'll see. Okay. And um, so Zola Tiarv and Sasha. 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 Mm-hmm. He had five broken ribs. Sorry, he was dressed just as good as Dubnina. Dubnina. Uh, missing eyeballs lady. So it sounds like these four were, you know, the strongest ones to make it. I mean, one of them was was the one that got shot. She was the one that got shot, right? Dubinina was, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, so she he so Sasha's well-dressed, but he's got five broken ribs, a flail chest. He's also missing face tissue, revealing his skull, 
He's also missing his eyes and a deep gash behind the head. Behind the head. But death by hypothermia. Okay. Got him. (laughs) So at this point, they kind of put it together. There's no bruising or any physical looks of damage to either Sasha or the gunshot lady's chest. But they have broken ribs. How is that possible? Yeah, I don't know. But it also states that no human could ever make that kind of damage to somebody, even if there was bruising or something. Like, I can't, even though I don't give a shit how big I am, I I can't come at you and do that to you. Do that. And not leave bruising and break your ribs, you know, without any signs of something. So no exterior physical bruising. Of evidence showing that. Just all in interior. Right, so where the broken ribs are, there's there's no sign of, external damage. Like right, if I was to punch you in the face, you get a black eye, right? Right. And a, so if you punch really hard, you get a black eye and skull fracture. Right. So, so for example, here there's no black eye, but there is a skull fracture. Right. Yeah. So it's like, how could how'd you hurt your head without hurting without your hurting head? Without hurting your head, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so either way, so then the next one was found was uh, Alexander. Uh, he was also well-dressed. He had scratch marks and burn marks on his outer layers, his clothing, but... He had miss. He was missing both eyebrows with exposed bone, broken nose, deformed neck, thus leading to, to a forced broken neck, and he had a gash behind his right ear. And it concluded that he died of Russia COVID. Russia COVID. Hypothermia. Hypothermia. <laughs> it's interesting that the two men have gashes behind them. Right. So we'll and we'll get more into that. But and then so the last one was Brignoli. He was also found in the den. Layered and well-dressed. Injuries included bruises in the face, internal bleeding on his forearm, and shattered skull made by extreme force. And then he, it's concluded that he could have survived up to three hours After. afterwards, but he was concussed if he was to survive. What was his cause of death? The head, head skull. Oh, head skull. Okay. Yeah, that's so the one that, yeah. Another that one that's not hypothermia. Yes. Yes. No hypothermia for that guy. Didn't have any signs of hypothermia. So that was on May 5th. And by now, it's they found all the bodies. The investigation has been kind of handled by different operators, Russian government, local authorities, local people. So kind of whatever. And I have notes on that. So right. So we'll, and we'll get more into that. But the last biggest thing about it was on May twenty seventh, on the four that was in the den. At some point, they tested for radiation on all four of the bodies found in the den. And the very next day, on May twenty eighth, they closed the case of the death of the hikers. Just and like that. Wow. Right. It was concluded that the cause of their demise was overwhelming force, which the hikers were not able to overcome. Quote, unquote, what the, the people who were in charge of this investigation. investigation stated and chalked it up to that. Right. So we're going to end this episode with that quote because it's bullshit. <laughs> we're we're going to, our next I mean, episode. Anything could be a force that we couldn't overcome. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. If you've, I've watched Star Wars. They've used the force all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for our separate, our second episode, part two, we're going to discuss the investigation. We're going to discuss who was involved, some of the bullshit that went down, just some, because there was plenty. And then we're going to discuss theories that have been put out there, and we'll conclude with our own personal thoughts on the matter. So stay tuned for the follow-up, part two. Until the next time. Like and follow facebook 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 we have a facebook account page if you are curious or interested send a request however if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are or have another unsolved mystery which by the way polar bear does not like but it doesn't matter (laughs) i like answers i like certainties 
This is not this a lot of conclusions. Good. They did conclude it. Look, overwhelming force. Yeah, <laughs> chalked it up to overwhelming force. That's right. Case closed. It was cold. Nailed it. Hypothermia. Either way, send me a request at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. So until next time, please remember only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to find you where the dark corners are.